for the love of reading, featuring selections from novels, complete short stories, poetry, and nonfiction. Read for you by Linda Pack and special guests R. Bobby and Ricky Didola. Bobby, did you know that the actual night of the winter solstice is the darkest and the longest of the northern year? That since prehistory, the end of the longest night has been observed with festivals and rituals celebrating the symbolic death and rebirth of the sun? Well, yes, Linda. <laughs> From the earliest times, we have gathered together on this night to share feasts with symbolic foods to warm our bodies, mm -hmm. gifts to warm our spirits, and especially stories mm -hmm. to warm our souls. But, uh, Ricky, mm -hmm. do you know what the origin of the word solstice is? Oh, yes. Yes, the word solstice comes from the Latin words sol, the sun, and stis, standing still. So here's the science of what happens. Mm -hmm. There are two important concepts to understand. The Earth rotates on its axis, axis every 24 hours, making day and night light and dark. Mm -hmm. And this axis, the imaginary line through the center of the Earth that connects the North and South Pole, is tilted. It is this tilt that gives us the change in seasons. No, no wait a minute. The, mm -hmm. the tilt is away from, so it's not perpendicular to the sun. Mm -mm. Our The Earth's axis is not up and down straight in relationship to the sun, it's actually at an angle yes. away from the sun. Yes, yes, it's tilted. Okay, and that axis is the spin of the earth that makes day and night, the 24-hour cycle. Exactly, and the, and the earth also revolves around the sun, which takes 365 days, right? Mm -hmm. So in the course of the earth's yearly voyage around the sun, on the day of the winter solstice, Okay, the angle of the northern pole of the Earth is tilted at its most extreme distance away from our mother star, okay. the sun. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. 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 And, and and at the North Pole itself, right. on this the shortest day, there is no sunlight at all. Uh -huh. Then, when the Earth revolves past this point, the days start to become longer. <sighs> Light and dark, mm -hmm. day and night. And hot and cold, summer and winter. And feast and famine. See, understanding the powerful forces that rule our life here on Earth was especially important to the early human cultures, mm. and especially to those who lived in the northernmost latitudes, right. where yes. the lack of light is felt most keenly for the longest time. Yeah. Yes, our ancestors were seeking the answer to the most primal question of all. When all is darkness, where is the light? Mm -hmm. In the Japanese native belief system, which is called Shinto, or the way of the gods, which predates historical records, they answered that very question, where is the light, with the legend mm -hmm. of their most important deity, the sun goddess, Amaterasu. <laughs> it is this goddess from whom the Imperial House of Japan claims descent. Oh, that is they wonderful. are, after all, 
the the land of the rising sun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amaterasu, the story goes, had been insulted by her brother, the storm god, Ooh. who was dark and moody and Ooh. had dominion over the seas, <laughs> and he raged and howled without cease. He was very badly behaved, <laughs> and he vandalized his celestial sister's rice crops. Oh, no. Well, she was furious and indignant, and so the sun goddess withdrew in protest into a cave, hiding her light, and the world was plunged into darkness. It had become night without end. Mm. To save the world, all the gods and goddesses went to that cave to beg the sun goddess to come out, but she stubbornly refused until the goddess of the dawn and laughter danced just outside the mouth of the cave. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. This dance was had so much joy and ecstasy in it that the sun goddess was overwhelmed with curiosity and was drawn out of the cave. And so the light of the sun was restored to the earth. Mm. <laughs> and also in Finland, which is practically in the Arctic Circle, yeah, the early people wondered... Who had hidden the light? They have this legend in the Kaluvala, the Kalavala, 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 which the Finnish people consider their national epic. Once upon a time, a powerful witch named Luhi hid the sun and the moon. She carried them deep into the upper north. Hmm. The moon she placed beneath a rock of many colors. Hmm. And the sun she stuffed into the iron-banded mountains. Not content with this mischief, she also stole fire, leaving the land barren of both light and warmth. Ooh, the Inuit people of North America and Greenland tell the tale of how the immortal trickster... The raven brought light to the world. Oh, I love this was story. it also yes. hidden? It was. Oh, mm. yes. Listen mm. in here. In the beginning, the earth was covered in darkness. This darkness suited Raven very well, for he liked to nap. <laughs> of course. But the inky pitch that blanketed the world made it very difficult for people to hunt or fish or gather berries for food. They came to Raven and begged his assistance, for no food would grow without light. Mm-hmm. Raven Mm. discovered that there was an old man who had a box that contained a box that held many other boxes. (laughs) (laughs) In the very last box was all the light in the universe. But this old man selfishly kept this treasure all to himself. Raven, however, vowed to steal the light for the people. He thought and thought, and finally came up with a plan, but first had to find a way to get to the boxes. (laughs) Okay, this old man lived alone with his daughter, and each day the girl would go to the river to fetch water. So Raven transformed himself into a tiny hemlock needle and dropped himself into the river just as the girl was dipping her water basket. Hmm. He floated into the girl's basket, and when the girl became thirsty and took a drink, 
Raven slipped down her throat. Once down in her warm insides, he changed again, this time into a small human being and took a very long nap. They liked to nap. Yes, <laughs> yes. And sleeping and growing there for a very long time. One day, the raven emerged as a little boy child. <laughs> Even though he had a rather strange appearance, <laughs> Raven's new grandfather loved him. You know, like you do. Uh, the raven child began to explore his new surroundings and discovered that the light must be hidden in the big box in the corner. When he first tried to open the box, his grandfather scolded him harshly. But the raven child begged and begged to be allowed to hold the box, if only just for a moment. So the old man gave the child the big box to play with. But the raven child found another box inside that and begged and begged to open that one, too. Inside that was another box, <laughs> and the raven child begged and begged to see what was inside of that one. Finally, the doting old man gave in and lifted out of the smallest box a warm and glowing sphere, which he threw to his grandson. As he tossed the ball of light, the child transformed into Raven and snatching the light in his beak flew through the sun smoke hull of the hut and up into the sky. The world was instantly changed forever. Mountains sprang into the bright sky and reflections danced on the rivers and oceans. Raven was so caught up in all of the excitement of this newly revealed world that he dropped nearly half of the ball of light, <laughs> which fell to the earth, shattering into one large and many small pieces oh on the rocky my. ground. Ah, but these little shards of light bounced back up into the heavens where they remain to this day as the moon <sighs> and the stars. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Now, Raven flung away the light that he still carried in his beak, floating gracefully above the clouds, and it became the sun as we now know it. And it rose over the mountains in the east, and that is how light came into the universe. <laughs> now that is a good explanation. And before astronomical observations explained how the Earth rotates on its axis and also revolves around the sun, the fear of famine as the crops oh. withered in the dry cold gave rise to rituals and stories to explain the change of seasons. Mm -hmm. Of course, because the ancients were hunters and farmers, and the seasons and weather played a vital role in their lives. Winter was often harsh, and many people did not survive the winter season. Mm. Speaking of seasons, in the Norse Eddas, a cycle of um, episodic, epic, Icelandic prose and poetry, mm -hmm. which dates back to, well, at least the 11th century, yeah. a goddess who came to be known as Frau Hula was honored as the sacred embodiment of the earth herself. 
Yes. Now, she appears as an old woman, the patroness of uh, women's crafts, such as weaving and spinning. Mm -hmm. In the dark, cold months of winter, it is she who watches over children. Mm. She brings the winter snowfall as well. It is said that when Frau Hola shakes out her mattress, the white feathers fall to the earth. As snow. Mm, oh, indeed. <laughs> well, to bring back the warmth, the Native Americans, Azuni, and Hopi tribes mm -hmm. of the Southwest Pueblo still to this day celebrate the Soyal Solstice Ceremony. I am grateful that the Native Americans still celebrate these rituals because they... That's the way they take care of the land and their people. Yes, indeed. And the purpose of the Soyal ritual is to bring the sun back from its long winter slumber, mm. turn the sun towards its summer path, warming the ground and renewing life for the coming year. Yeah. Because the sun god is furthest from the tribe at the winter solstice, they dance to entreat the powerful Kachina spirit beings who, if given due veneration and proper respect, can use their powers for the good and well-being of all the people. Well, what is that ceremony like? The specific rituals are sacred to each tribe. Oh, But they all feature Soyal himself, mm. known as the Return Kachina, who is represented as a shabbily dressed old man tottering through the village placing sacred bundles of prayer feathers at each kiva. Aww. These prayer offerings open the way for other Kachinas to return to the village from the spirit world and share their blessings with all of the community. Mm, all of nice. these oral traditions are fascinating. But you know, the first story I ever read that explained why we have winter it was actually written. It was one of a series of Greek poems that was written in the 7th century before the Common Era. They were written in meter, and they're known as the Homeric Hymns. This particular story begins like this. I sing of Demeter, the holy goddess of the harvest, whose bounty feeds the world, and how she lost and regained her beloved daughter Persephone. One day, Persephone was picking flowers with her maidens. Up and down the soft meadow, iris blossoms she picked, and hyacinth, and the narcissus, with its sweet fragrance spreading to the wide skies above, and the world smiled in all its radiance. Suddenly, a chasm in the earth opened up before her, and there was Hades, lord of the underworld, king of the dead, riding on a chariot drawn by his coal-black steeds. He seized Persephone against her will, put her into his golden chariot, and drove away as she wept. She cried with a piercing voice, and the peaks of mountains resounded as did the depths of the sea. Mother Demeter heard her, and a sharp pain seized her heart. She sped off like a bird, soaring over land and sea, looking and looking. For nine days did the Lady Demeter wander all over the earth. But when the tenth bright dawn came upon her, she went to the sun god, Helios, the seeing eye of gods and men, and asked this question. 
I turn to you as you look down from the bright ether with your sunbeams. Tell me whether you have by any chance seen my child, and who has taken her away from me by force against her will. And the sun god answered her with these words. Queen Demeter, Hades, heading for the misty realms of darkness, seized her as he drove his chariot. And Demeter was visited by a grief even more terrifying than before. Wasting away with yearning for her daughter, she caused most dreadful and cruel misery for mortals. All over the earth, Demeter kept the seeds cold and covered underground. Many a curved plow was dragged along the fields by many an ox, all in vain. Many a bright grain of wheat fell into the earth, but no seed would sprout. It was all for naught. Demeter would have destroyed the entire population of the earth with harsh hunger, and thus deprived the dwellers of the Olympian abodes of their due sacrifices of meat and wine, if the king of the god Zeus had not noticed and sent out all the immortal gods to plead with her, but no one could persuade her. She said she would never again send up the harvest of the earth until she saw with her own eyes her daughter again. When Zeus heard this, he sent Hermes, the fleet-footed messenger of the gods, to persuade Hades to allow Persephone to leave the misty realms of darkness and be brought up into the light. Hermes rushed at full speed down into the depths of the earth, and he found Hades inside his palace with Persephone, who was yearning for her mother and suffering. The king of the dead smiled and did not disobey the order of Zeus the king. But Hades did give to Persephone, stealthily, the honey-sweet berry of the pomegranate to eat. Anyone who tastes the food of Hades must remain in the underworld. The deed having been done, a compromise was struck. Since Persephone had eaten the food of the underworld, she had to dwell a third portion of the year in the realms of the dark mist beneath the earth. But the other two-thirds of the year she would spend in the company of her mother, and the world could be fruitful again. Since the abduction and return of Persephone, the earth has followed the progression of seasons. In the fall, seeds, like Persephone herself, are buried underground, and the earth becomes colder and less fertile. Until the spring, when Persephone comes out into the sun once more, and Demeter, in her joy, covers all the wide earth with leaves and blossoms, and sends up the harvest from the land. Mm. <laughs> Beautiful. Good one. <laughs> you know, ladies, it mm. is interesting that food is the factor that decides Persephone, Persephone's fate. Mm -hmm. Celebratory feasts featuring symbolic foods play an important role in helping us survive the winter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the south, uh, southern part of um, China? Yes. Rice balls are the festival food as they symbolize family reunion. Was that because the rice sticks, sticks together? together. <laughs> that's my thinking. That's what I think. But uh, the difference is in northern China, people usually eat dumplings and wontons Yum. to celebrate the day. <laughs> 
But since the dumplings and the wontons are shaped like people's ears, the tradition says that eating wontons will keep their ears from being frostbitten in the bitter cold. <laughs> another good excuse for eating wontons. I, I love it. In Northern Europe, uh-huh. until the 16th century, more or less, mm-hmm. the winter months were always a time of famine. Mm. And so most of the cattle were slaughtered so that they wouldn't have to be fed during the winter, and that made the solstice a time when fresh meat was plentiful and needed to be eaten. That is a great thing to have, too. Mm. (laughs) And desperate for the return of light and warmth, the prehistoric people of Scandinavia and the Celtic tribes of the British Isles held a midwinter feast called Yule, mm. a strong drink called wassail, usually a mixture of ale, honey, and spices, was massively consumed. <laughs> well, it was cold. The term, well, absolutely. And the term wassail is from the Old English words vias heil, which means be well. Nice. Mm. And they would light bonfires in the fields, mm-hmm. a- and the ceremonial yule log, a giant timber, was dragged into the house, decorated in seasonal greenery, and set ablaze. It would burn for 12 days. Ooh, mm-hmm. That's a big log. Yeah. yeah. Lighting and warming them through the darkness and the cold while the earth turned back toward the sun. Yule means wheel. <laughs> the Jewish people celebrate eight days of feasting on delicious and symbolic foods oh, yeah. when they retell their <laughs> own return to the light story. Bobby, yes. tell us about the winter festival we call Hanukkah. Oh, please, please. Oh, Hanukkah. Yes. So Hanukkah is also called the Festival of Lights, and it is actually inspired by a turbulent phase of Jewish history. Oh. Around 200 BCE, Judea, also known as the Land of Israel, came under the control of Antiochus III, a benevolent king of Syria who allowed the Jews who lived there to practice their religion. His son, Antiochus IV, proved less generous. He outlawed the Jewish religion and ordered the Jews to worship Worship Greek gods. Oh. You know, this was they a problem. Didn't like oh, that. no, 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 no. <laughs> this was a problem for the Jews. Yeah. You know, they continued their traditions anyway. They celebrated their Sabbath, Shabbat, and also studied the Torah. Mm. But in ni- 168 BCE, Antiochus decided to send soldiers to Jerusalem Uh-oh. who killed thousands of Jews and desecrated the city's holy second temple. The soldiers destroyed all the Jewish artifacts in the temple and there erected an altar to Zeus. Mm-mm. They even sacrificed pigs within its sacred walls. Uh-huh. This is not very kosher, new. No. So the Jewish people were angry. The son of a noteworthy Jewish priest, Judah the Maccabee, rose as a leader. He led a ragtag army of farmers to save their Jewish heritage, right. armed only with spears, bows and arrows and rocks. Huh. They, they called themselves the Maccabees and fought a guerrilla war against the well-trained, well-equipped, endless forces of the Syrian army. Even as the king's soldiers rode in on elephants to attack, 
Over two years, the Maccabees stayed strong and finally drove the army out of Jerusalem. Yay! Yay! Yay. (laughs) Well, you know, after the defeat of the Syrian army, the Maccabees cleaned up the temple as much as they could. Judah and his followers rebuilt the altar and lit an oil lamp that burned continuously in the synagogue called the menorah. But there was a problem. There was only enough oil to keep the menorah burning for one day. Uh So they sent their fastest runner to get the fresh oil. But it would take that runner four days to get there and four days to come back. But there was only enough oil for one day. I know, but wonder of wonder. Miracle of miracles. The flame flickered for eight days and nights and never went out. Yes. So this miracle inspires a yearly eight-day festival called Hanukkah. Now, one of the ways we celebrate Hanukkah today is by lighting a special nine-branched menorah called the Hanukkiah. Each night of the holiday's eight nights, one more candle is added to the Hanukkiah after sundown. The ninth candle, the shamas, is used to light the other candles. Bob, Bobby, is there a blessing? That they say when they light these candles? Oh, there's always a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. You can't have too many blessings. I like a good blessing. Would you say the blessing? Oh, I'd be delighted. Let's see if I can remember it. Um, Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu B'Mitzvotav, Vitzivanu Lechadlik Ner, Shel Chanukah. And then you say happy Hanukkah and you kiss everybody. Happy Hanukkah. Happy, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> of course, not not these not days. No, Don't be <laughs> Also, honoring the Hanukkah miracle, many Hanukkah foods are fried in oil. Yum. Oh, yummy. <laughs> Potato pa- pancakes, also called latkes, mm-hmm. are particularly popular in many Jewish households, especially when eaten with... Sour cream. Thank you. Applesauce, applesauce. Everyone has a favorite. (laughs) And gelt, which are chocolate coins wrapped in gold foil, are also a popular treat. Mm. And another Hanukkah custom is a gambling game played with a four-sided spinning top, which has a Hebrew letter on each face called a dreidel. Now, using small coins or nuts or gelt, Mm. everyone antes one up by putting something into a pot. As the first player spins the dreidel and it spins and spins, everyone sings, I had dreidel, dreidel, I made it out of clay. And when it's dry and ready, a dreidel I shall play. Dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. And it stops. What happens next depends upon the Hebrew letter facing up when the dreidel comes to a stop. So there are four letters. Nun mm-hmm. means nothing happens. Okay. Oh, okay. Nobody gets nothing. Nobody gets nothing. Bupkis, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> Gimel means you get the whole pot, nice. which is the win. Come on, that one. <laughs> hey means you get half the pot, oh, also a win. Oh, pretty good. And shin means you put one in. Uh So these letters are the first letters from the phrase, nes 
Gadol Haya Shem. Mm. A great miracle happened there. Ah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Bob. You know, when I'm thinking of ancient Judea and festive games, mm -hmm. yeah. makes me think of ancient Rome. Oh, well. <laughs> and the tradition famous for games in 12 days of feasting, festivities, yeah. and follies. Bacchanalia, I bet. Io <laughs> Santranalia. I hope fortune treats you well. Io Saturnalia. May the gods and of goddesses keep you blessed in your life. Io, Saturnalia, was the ritual greeting to friends and family in ancient Rome each year, starting in mid-December. The Saturnalia is an ancient Roman festival of light, leading to the winter solstice, mm. to honor Saturn, who was an agricultural deity who was said to have reigned over the world in a golden age when no one was a slave. Mm -hmm. And in memory of this at the Saturnalia, slaves everywhere could sit down with their masters, the rank of all being made equal. And that is a great custom. Mm -hmm. Because the Saturnalia was presided over by a king, chosen especially for the occasion, sometimes referred to as the Lord of Misrule, Ooh. selected from the lowliest members of a household. Yes, and um, there was this uh, civic ceremony mm -hmm. where all work and business was suspended mm. as the festivities commenced. Now, now with a with a sacrifice at the Temple of Saturn in the Roman Forum, and then a public banquet blazing Ooh. with an abundance of candles, symbolizing the quest for knowledge and truth. Oh. And then the private parties and the <laughs> gift giving, and a carnival of drinking and gambling and debauchery that overturned <laughs> yes. all the Roman social norms. The poet Catullus called it the best of days. <laughs> and so we greet the season, Io Saturnalia. For how many years shall the festival abide? Never shall age destroy so holy a day. Io Saturnalia. <laughs> oh, now every year on December 21st, mm. Iranians celebrate the victory of light over darkness on Yalda night, one of the most ancient of all global winter solstice festivals. Yalda night was first celebrated when the majority of Persians were followers of Zoroastrianism, which was prior to the advent of Islam. Mm, yes, common people set great bonfires, and their rulers sent birds aloft bearing torches of dried grass. That must have been beautiful. I can't mm. imagine, yeah, just floating yeah. there. Uh, the winter solstice is the eve of the birth of Mithra, the sun god, who symbolized light, goodness, and strength on earth. Mm. Yalda is a Syriac word meaning birth. Yeah. Still today, Iranian families all over the world gather together, eat sumptuous meals, exchange gifts, as so many cultures do at the winter solstice. Mm -hmm. But they also tell their fortunes for the new year by reading from a precious collection of poems in Farsi that were composed in the 1300s by the beloved Sufi mystic poet who was known as Hafiz. Mm -hmm. Hafiz is a title of respect for a Muslim who knows the Quran by heart. And these beautiful poems are considered sacred by the Iranian people. Mm. 
This is the divination process. First, you make a wish from your heart. Then, opening the book of Hafiz to a random page, you read the poem on that page as a divine response. Ooh, we could do this, yeah? Anyone can. Including anyone who is listening to us right now. We can do this. We should do Let's do this. Let's, Let's do, this. do it. Okay. Let's do this. So, in front of us, we have a selection of nine of the poems of Hafiz. So let's each make a heart wish now. Okay. 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 You good? Are you ready? Oh, wait. Okay. Ready? Uh, yep. Got it. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. So now we choose a number between one and nine. Okay. Okay. Tell me when you're ready. I ready. have a number. Okay. I great. Have a number. I have mine too. Okay. And now we will read each poem. The number you have chosen will be the poem that is the divine response to your own private wish for the new year. Ooh. Yeah? All okay. right. All right. Here's the first poem. <clears throat> okay. I pull the sun from my coin purse each day, and at night I let my pet, the moon, run freely into the sky meadow. If I whistled, she would turn her head and look at me, if I waved my arms, she would come back wagging a marvelous tail of stars. Each day, for God, I water his favorite plant, this earth. Ask the friend for love. Ask him again. For I have learned that every heart will get what it prays for most. Number two. The sky is a suspended blue ocean. The stars are the fish that swim. The planets are the white whales I sometimes ride on. And the sun and all light have forever fused themselves into my heart and upon my skin. There is only one rule on this wild playground. For every sign Hafiz has ever seen reads the same. They all say, Have fun, my dear. My dear, have fun. In the Beloved's divine game. Oh, in the Beloved's divine game. Mm. Three. And for no reason I start skipping like a child. And for no reason, I turn into a leaf that is carried so high, I kiss the sun's mouth and dissolve. And for no reason, a thousand birds choose my head for a conference table, start passing their cups of wine and their wild songbooks all around. And for every reason, in existence, I begin to eternally, to eternally laugh and love, and I turn into a leaf and start dancing, and I dissolve into the truth that I am. This is poem number four. I have learned so much from God that I can no longer call myself a Christian, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a Jew. 
The truth has shared so much of itself with me that I can no longer call myself a man, a woman, an angel, or even a pure soul. Love has befriended Hafiz so completely. It has turned to ash and freed me of every concept and image my mind has ever known. Number five. I once asked a bird, How is it that you fly in this gravity of darkness? She responded, Love lifts me. Number six. I wish I could show you when you are lonely or in darkness the astonishing light of your own being. Seven. There was a four-year-old child whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man cry, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard climbed onto his lap, and just sat there. When his mother asked what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy said, Nothing. I just helped him cry. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights the whole sky. Number eight. At some point, your relationship with God will become like this. Next time you meet him in the forest, or on a crowded city street, there won't be any more leaving. That is, God will climb into your pocket. You will simply just take yourself along. Okay, and the last one, number nine. Leave the familiar for a while. Let your senses and body stretch out like a welcomed season onto the meadows and shores and hills and love like a blooming night flower. Change rooms in your mind for a day. Greet yourself in your thousand other forms as you mount the hidden tide and travel back home. All the hemispheres in heaven are sitting around a fire chatting, stitching themselves together into the great circle inside of you. As we each hold our poem in our heart, consider that no matter how we choose to celebrate the annual return of the light, it is always with gratitude for the blessings of warmth, the promise of abundance, and the hope of peace. Amen. May the faith and friendship that we share in spirit never fail. In our hearts and our homes. And in all the places on earth and in all times of the year. And that is all for this edition of For the Love of Reading, Tales of the Winter Solstice. The material read on this special edition of For the Love of Reading was selected, reviewed, and edited by Linda Pack, and performed by Linda Pack, R. Bobby, and Ricky Dodola. The program was engineered by Alicia Bales. 
This program is archived and available for online listening at kzyx.org, along with all of the shows aired on For the Love of Reading. Mendocino County Remembered, oral histories collected and published under the auspices of the Mendocino Historical Society for the American Bicentennial in 1976.
Read by Linda Pack. Today, remembrances of Christmases past. First, from Fort Bragg, Sylvia Backland. Our Christmases were very important in those days. I can remember as a youngster the oranges. We only had oranges on Christmas. I've heard later that the oranges were given when the men paid what they owed to the company. They gave a big crate of oranges, and that was our Christmas present, and we really thought that was something. We never connected oranges with anything but Christmas. Oranges are Christmas. From Willits, Thelma Sawyers, born 1899. We always had relatives and friends out from town. They loved to come to the Hale Ranch. We had the hills to roam. There were walks, you know, paths. I guess the cows made the paths in different places. We used to go fishing in the Hale Creek. What fun. Oh, and of course, we raised turkeys. The turkey hens would hide their nests out in the woods. And Mother would say, Now you follow this hen and see where she goes. Oh, you had to watch those little turkeys. Because when they would hatch out in the woods, they didn't always get enough food, or the coons would get them. And so we would have to know where the nests were so that we could protect the little turkeys or bring them in and put them in a coop and feed them and see if they got their water. Or else we'd lose all the turkeys. Oh, I remember one turkey hen. She was the sweetest looking hen. <laughs> now, can you feature a turkey hen having a sweet face? <laughs> well, she did. I used to call her Aunt Amney because she put me in mind of Aunt Amney Hale's sweet face. <laughs> oh my, it's been so long since I thought of that. <laughs> From Ten Mile, Claire Kempe. We always had a Christmas tree at our home. It was quite an event. Oh, we weren't allowed to see the tree until Christmas Eve. We used to light it. Oh, there were no electric lights, so we used candles and lit them. Oh, we did almost have a tragedy one time. Now, the man that played Santa Claus was visiting with us. For his Santa Claus suit, they wrapped cotton batten for fur all around the sleeves and around the bottom of his coat and around his boots. Well, he reached over to take a gift off the tree, and an arm caught on fire. My mother had had to go to Fort Bragg that night, and she didn't get back until late. Anyway, he panicked. Oh, he tried to put it out. <laughs> and when he put his one sleeve over there, well, then the other one caught fire. He was just flames. And all the hired men, they were always included in the celebration. Oh, they tried to catch him, pull his coat off. He had a leather belt around it. Well, they couldn't catch him. He ran out in the yard, which was the worst thing for him to do. Oh, when he finally did catch him and he put the fire out, he was a mess. Why, his face was all burned and his arms. Oh, there was nothing we could do. Mother had had the only vehicle to take him to town. We had to wait until she came home and take him into the hospital. Oh, yeah, he lived. But it was a horrible ordeal. Oh, I can hear him screaming yet. I was just a little girl at the time. And from Navarro, Elsie Farnsworth, born... 1890. We'd save the money that we, uh, that from the wild blackberries that we picked in the summertime, we'd save that money for Christmas. I had a little box. I would count my money every day to 
planned what I was going to buy the family for Christmas. We were awful happy kids. We weren't always wanting something more. We were so contented and happy with what we had. Why, that's, that's all we knew. From Ukiah, Paul Scammon, born 1890. My mother had a little melodeon and uh, at Christmas time, she would play that and sing. I remember one gift that we received was some sort of gun-type dart. Boy, that was a great thing. To get something like that had to be manufactured somewhere else, and to have it for Christmas, I had to divide it with my brother. We usually made our own toys. I, we couldn't afford bought toys, but I remember that one. Of course, Anything associated with guns is important to kids, you know. <laughs> From Greenwood, Aldine Gorman, born 1894. At Christmas time, I can remember one very difficult trip going over from Greenwood down from San to San Francisco in one of the sailing vessels or lumber vessels. Now, my father was taking me to have Christmas with my cousins and the rest of the family. And in those days, in Greenwood, one walked down this wharf, which went from the bluff to a huge rock, and then carried on to another rock, and then you got into a sort of a cage-like contraption, which had been brought over a cable from the boat to the wharf. Well, then the passengers were loaded into that, and the front gate closed in. So here you were, on a solid platform with four sides made of boards, so that you could look through, see the ocean seething below. And then it was lifted up by the cable and carried over the ocean to the vessel and lowered. Oh, by the time I reached the end of the wharf, which was quite a long walk, and of course, with the motion of the ocean underneath, you felt the wharf was moving back and forth. And then going up over the ocean looking down, oh, you couldn't help but look down, seeing the waves below you. By the time I reached the boat deck, I was terribly seasick. And then that night... It was the worst storm they said they'd known on the coast for about 20 years struck the boat. And much of the lumber shifted, which is always dangerous, because if too much of it shifted to one side, it would capsize the boat. And they had to jettison some of the lumber. Now, my father was awake through it all. There were several women that were going to San Francisco, and they suggested to my father that they take me into their cabin, because I was quite sick, and I guess they felt sorry for him. But I just don't remember anymore, except all the terrific noise, the rocking of the boat. The storm was so bad. Now, but we, we survived it. Oh, and as a consequence, when we landed in San Francisco, my father said that if I would like to pick out a doll, I could. So we went to one of the big San Francisco stores. It was either the Emporium or Hales. And upstairs, they were all prepared for Christmas. They had this one little square canopy place filled with dolls. So we went in, and I stood there, and my poor father stood from one foot to the other until I chose the doll that I most wanted. Oh, and she was a lovely big blonde doll with blue eyes. From Ukiah, Ruth Evans, born 1894. I remember my mother telling that one Christmas my father gave her a rocking chair for Christmas. And she couldn't wait till she got her dishes and her housework done so she could sit in that chair and rock and mend in the afternoon. 
She mended stockings or something in the way of a garment that had to be sewed or fixed. And she said she just loved it. She said, I'd just sit for hours and rock in that chair. Now think what a simple thing it took to make a person happy in those days. Why now, you can give a person the world with a fence around it, and they're still not happy, the majority of them. From Anderson Valley and Ukiah, Melissa Kendrick. Over in Anderson Valley, they had a Christmas tree in the Methodist Church. Everybody went. There was one Christmas tree. Nobody else had one. A big, tall one. All the things on the tree, dolls on the tree. I remember getting my doll. My mother put a great big package for my dad on the tree. Everyone wanted to know what was in that great big package. They insisted that he open it, and it was a nightshirt, a long flannel shirt made out of tennis flannel, which is kind of fuzzy on both sides. In those days, there wasn't heat in houses. Mother had a fireplace and a kitchen stove. The bedrooms were like icicles. Dad just loved that long tennis flannel nightgown. Every year we used to go to church for Christmas. At Christmas at the county hospital in Ukiah, my dad would make a bucket of eggnog and he would put in some brandy. Most of the indigents had worked on the coast. They were not native. They had worked and worked and worked and they never had married and they had no home and they had nothing to live on. Many of them, as hard as they worked, drank all their money up and had nothing. They always had this big mug of eggnog for their Christmas, but most of them had no people that they could go home to. From Comchi, Lena Mcheznik. We didn't know what Christmas was, only by hanging up our stockings. Each one of us had a stocking. We had to hang it up by the fireplace. In the morning when we got up, why, it had candy and an orange in it. Oranges were pretty hard to get. A few nuts and some candy in it, and that's all that would be in it. I remember my first doll. I got it when I was in school. I was a pretty good-sized girl, and this teacher said, If you will speak the story of Santa Claus, I'll buy you a doll. So I learned it all by heart, and I stood up there and spoke it. Well, the first time, I started crying. And then she said, Oh, you don't want to cry like that. You get out of that. So I straightened up, and I spoke the rest of it all the way through, and she got me a doll. That was my first doll. From Covalo, Elise Pimentel. We didn't have too many Christmases. I think Christmas up in Covalo was our first Christmas. Somebody told us about Christmas. We didn't even know there was such a thing as Christmas. I guess because Mother and Dad came from France, they probably didn't know. We found out about it, so we finally decided to have Christmas trees, too. We had gifts. We decorated the tree with popcorn. I remember I got a doll. I sure liked it, because I never had dolls before or toys of any kind. I got this nice china doll, and I took it outside. We had one of these bells that you ring, dinner bells. I set the doll up on that bell, and I hit it too hard, and it broke the doll all to pieces. It about killed me. Now you can't find those Chinese dolls. Well, I never knew too much about playing anyway. Seems like everything was work. And from Little River, Ruth Hood. They had a town Christmas tree there at the Little River Improvement Club. They always had a huge tree clear to the ceiling. The townspeople would decorate it during the day. 
At night, they'd have a program that the Sunday school and the school put on. There was one family, it was a big family, and they always brought clothes baskets full of presents. And the rest of us got one present. Lily was their name. They always made the rest of us feel bad, because we always got only one gift. We enjoyed Santa Claus coming. That was really something, too. We decorated the Christmas trees with tinsel and usually candles. You had to be very careful about fire. But one time, when they had the celebration there at the Little River in the hall, well, the hall's not there, it's across from the improvement club, Santa Claus was up in the attic because it was really a barn, though it had a good dance floor in it. Now, it was time for Santa Claus to come, and he was coming through this hole in the ceiling, and the rope broke, and he fell. It really scared us for a minute. We thought, what if he's hurt? That year, Tom Bacon was Santa Claus. He was a scream. I remember his big mustache. He always played a tune on his mustache. He was doing it with his mouth, but we, we thought he was playing a tune on his mustache. <laughs> he was a card. He's a good entertainer. He'd always tell stories and sing. And, of course, little kids sat around with their mouths open listening. You've been listening to Remembrances of Christmas's Past. To learn more about Mendocino's rich past, visit any of our county's many excellent museums and historical societies. Go to CaliforniaHistoricalSociety.org for a complete listing. Mendocino County Remembered is produced by Mary Eigner and Linda Pack for KZYX and Z. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.